Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. In our sermon series, Trending, we are talking about trending topics within our news media that really strike a chord with people in their hearts. The way we follow news media in our world today is by how many people are reading and sharing about a particular topic on social media. I'll be picking up on these trending topics and pulling them out to discuss how God's Spirit is operating through these events in our world. I hope you enjoy. Our first reading today is from Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. This is a story that we don't hear very often, but you will recognize it as the story of the Tower of Babel. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as they migrated from the east, they came upon a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we shall be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which mortals had built. And the Lord said, look, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading comes to us from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, and verses 12 through 21. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at the sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk as you suppose, 
for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portions of my heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word of the Lord. A couple of things I want to say before I start my sermon is that, like last week, uh, I'm not quite as sick. I am better, uh, but my voice is still a little raspy, and so the water bottle is back. Also, about that, I heard some people think that this was a University of Michigan water bottle. It is not, and I am offended. (laughs) I am a Michigan State boy. And this is a Montreat water bottle. (laughs) If you do not believe me, I will show you up close later. Secondly, unlike last week, this sermon was not written by Alex. I did this all by myself. (laughs) I am a big boy pastor. (laughs) Well, it's about that time in schools all across the country. Time to send around a book and let people sign it, give you advice, tell you how sweet you are, and to keep in touch. It is yearbook season. An interesting trend would happen in these signatures every year in Belleville High School, at least from 1998 until 2002 when I attended there. People would sign your yearbook, tell you how much they liked you, and then say, never change. I recently went back through and looked at my yearbook, and it was all over the place. Never change. Stay sweet. Never change for anyone. Never change. I understand the sentiment of these 14 to 18-year-olds who were signing my yearbook. I was a nice guy who treated people well, uh, was budding a wonderful sense of humor, and I could even manage to talk to girls sometimes. I mean, of course, I should stay that way forever. Just look at me back then. Whew. Right? I don't know who allowed that dirty mustache my senior year, but it was, it, they should be fired. It was bad. Unfortunately, for all of those friends of mine who wrote that in my yearbook, I did change. I changed a lot. It's just how it is. I no longer live in my parents' basement. That's a change. I no longer write overly emotional songs about trying to find true love and failing. That's a change, thank goodness. (laughs) I don't even really talk to anyone from my high school anymore, with the exception of three guys. And one of them doesn't really count because he and I were friends when I was one year old. But that's also a, a change. 
My thoughts on love, on life, on God, adulthood, women, friendships, government, music, on almost everything has changed. Some a lot, some a little, but all of them have changed. I don't think that there is anything as inevitable that we fear more than change. Except for death, which is really just a change in life. But at the same time, there's nothing that we as humans crave more than change. We want to change. We want the world to change. We desire metamorphosis. Why do you think so many people love the image of a butterfly? Because it calls to our innate desire for something to change and grow and blossom into something beautiful. We have a love-hate relationship with change, and it is so interesting to me. This was on the forefront of my mind when I read the scripture for today in the lectionary. Our scripture for today is the story of Pentecost. Essentially, the disciples are all locked in an upstairs room. The Spirit of God moves in and around them. They get new tongues of fire on their head. And they all start speaking different languages about the good news of Jesus. This is heard by the people outside who are all confused by this. But then Peter explains everything to them, and that is Pentecost. We celebrate this day every year in the church. Generally speaking, it's the day that pastors use to say that there is no language or culture or people that Jesus cannot speak to. That Christ is for everyone, regardless of their native tongue. Or, pastors sometimes say that God will give you the tools that you need to move from your upper room out into the world, which is a really good starting spot for a graduation sermon but that's not the way I'm going to take it. (laughs) This story has always confused me a little bit, so let's go through it one more time. The disciples are gathered upstairs. The Spirit of God moves and gives them new tongues of fire, and they speak in different languages. They preach the good news of Jesus, and this confuses the people outside, but then Peter explains it. It sounds familiar, but let's make it more general. The people are gathered upstairs. The Spirit moves and gives them new tongues, and they speak new languages, and then people are confused. That's even more familiar. One more time, just for fun. People gathered, Spirit moves, new tongues slash languages, people confused. Ah, see, that's it. The first scripture we read today was the Tower of Babel. And the story of Pentecost reminds me a lot of that story. In both, people are gathered upstairs, some in a tower, some in a room. But it's not the ground floor that we're talking about, and that's the important point. Because back then, the higher you were, the closer to God you were. In both, God's Spirit moves in and around the people and gives them new tongues or languages to speak. In both, people are confused at this change. All of the major plot points line up. But the fallout from these stories and the way that they are treated to this very day are very different. 
I find this interesting because essentially these two stories perfectly represent the two major human reactions to change. A major change occurs, the same major change occurs in each story, but because of how we frame it, one change is bad and one change is good. In the Tower of Babel, we frame the story in such a way that God seems a little bit petty, if I'm honest, self-conscious and worrisome. If we allow these humans to continue to build this tower, then they're going to be able to do anything. We can't allow that. So, kazam! Different languages. The story about how we got diversity from the Bible is based on God being insecure with power and stature. In the second story, we frame it through a different lens. We frame it through the lens of this story needs to be told in all tongues and languages to all people throughout the earth. So kazam, different languages. The change was the same. Kazam, different languages. The frame was different. I wonder how the story of Babel would look if it were told through a different frame Instead of God looking and seeing humans accomplish a great deal and feeling like they were going to rise up and overthrow heaven, what if God looked down and saw a homogeneous group of people with no discernible differences? What if God looked down and saw everyone the exact same, speaking the same, acting the same, looking the same, and God thought, is every flower a lily? Is every bird a crow? Is all music a single note? Isn't beauty within difference? Don't different colors make a more beautiful scene? Isn't a chord fuller with variation? And so God split the human tongue into many different languages so that by each different cultures and traditions could come forth and make humankind as beautiful as the rest of God's creation Diverse, different, exquisite. Suddenly this change is beautiful. This change is powerful. This change is needed. But I bet you that even with this reframing of the story, there would be people who still didn't like the change. People who resisted it, people who would say, I mean, I'm sure it's nice, yeah, but weren't we like better before? (laughs) This is how all change is confronted with resistance. Which brings me to the trending topic of today's sermon. All throughout May, there has been a trending situation down in Louisiana, New Orleans to be specific. The city's government, including the mayor, decided that three Confederate statues and one monument heralding white supremacy needed to be removed. This decision came from a six-to-one vote of the city council. Now, clearly, this was a change for the city of New Orleans, and so resistance came. At each statue, protesters gathered both for and against the removal of the statues. 
Those who wanted to keep the statue said that it was part of their heritage, their history. They said that they shouldn't be removed as they can serve as a reminder of where we have been and how far we have come. One man even said, should the pyramids in Egypt be destroyed because they were built entirely from slave labor? The Roman Colosseum was built by slaves who lived horrible lives under Roman oppression, but it still stands today, and we learn so much from seeing it. The other side of this debate argues that having these statues and monuments celebrates slavery and the fundamental idea that white men and women are superior to people of color, but specifically superior to black people. The mayor, Mitch Landreau, says these monuments have stood not as historic or educational markers of our legacy of slavery and segregation, but in celebration of it. I believe we must remember all of our history, but we need not revere it. To literally put the Confederacy on a pedestal in some of our most prominent public places is not only an inaccurate reflection of the past, it is an affront to our present and a bad prescription for our future. We should not be afraid to confront and reconcile our past. Now, whichever side of this argument you happen to fall on, the thing I wanted to focus on here was the reaction of those who were against the change. As soon as the word got out about the city removing these statues, people started to gather around those sites and wave Confederate flags and protest their removal. In fact, people flocked to the city from as far away as New Mexico and Colorado to protest the removal. The pushback was so severe that each of the removals happened in late evening or early morning. There was a strong police presence at each removal, and the workers wore helmets and masks to cover their faces. In fact, when there were two statues left and each needed a heavy crane to be removed, the mayor found out that every crane company in the region had received threats. One man circled the statue of Jefferson Davis armed with an AK-47 and a Glock on his waist to defend the statue. Regardless of all of this pushback, threatening, and protesting, all of these statues are now removed. The change happened, and whether you agree or disagree with their point of view, those who resisted the change looked wrong. They looked aggressive and like bullies. When changes occur, we can either resist them or we can accept them. But more times than not, the church as a whole seems to be like those resisting the removal of the statues. We cling to the past. We say that we need to hold on to these things to preserve our history. 
We cannot let go of how it's always been done. And in doing so, we do not see how we alienate ourselves from others. We as a church, and I'm not just talking about First Presbyterian Church here, but the church universal, we as the church have been shrinking. And we don't seem to understand why. We want younger bodies in our pews, but we don't want them to affect how we worship or how the church operates. We want them to be there as trophies or props. We don't actually want their input, their music, their worship style, their changes, their way of showing their faith. We want them to assimilate into our way And we don't seem to understand why that's not working. When I grew up, and when most of you grew up, you went to church on Sunday. That's just what you did. Why? Because that's just what you did. You went as a family. There was nothing else scheduled on Sundays. There were no soccer games, no band or choir concerts, no baseball, theater shows, dance classes, hockey. There was nothing. All there was was church that was hopefully done by noon if the pastor didn't preach too long. And then there was football, which is why you were hoping it was done by noon and the pastor wouldn't preach too long. And then there was family dinner that always seemed to happen around 3.30 or 4 at my house for some reason. But that was it. That was all there was. The church didn't have to try to get new blood because that's just what people did. But things have changed. Look around. That's not how Sundays are anymore. Ask any parent of a youth or a child, and they will tell you that between running kids to and from this sport and that activity, they don't have a lot of time for church. And when they do, it is sometimes in lieu of something else and seen as a sacrifice. And so the church on the surface tries to change. We say, come, look at our new band with electric guitars and drums. Surely the kids will like that. Come, look at our new youth room with 72-inch plasma screen TVs. Surely the, the youth will love that. Come check out our evening service where everyone gets an iPad and you can live tweet the whole thing. Surely millennials will love that. We are baffled that these new bells and whistles don't attract the kind of response that we want. How are the 20-somethings not lining up at our door? Don't we have everything that they like? But deep down, we know that we are resistant to the real change. We don't want to admit that something deeper, something truer needs to be addressed. Sundays have changed. People have changed. Shouldn't the church change with them? How can we grow with the times instead of standing against them, protesting the inevitable tide, holding on to the remnants of a past long forgotten? 
We need to ask the hard questions and be ready for the harder answers. How are we really at welcoming the stranger? Do we care more about appearances than about content? How can we act upon God's word and not just talk about God's word? Is the church a consumer product that you pay for and thus get whatever you want out of it, or is it something more? How can we change the world if we are unwilling to change ourselves? Change is hard. It is confusing and bewildering. It is disorienting. But when change comes, we have two options. We can either allow it to separate us, like the story of Babel, where we say, you're not like me, you sound different, and thus we have to go different ways. Or we can allow it to change us, to help us grow, to move us, like the story of Pentecost, where all differences were welcomed to be part of the story. We have to allow our church to change, deeply change. We have to allow those things that we hold tightly onto to be loosened, because in the end, the church isn't a pulpit or a pipe organ or pews or the pastor. The church is the people, the people following God the best way that they know how. And if we want the church to last long after we are gone, then we need to be willing to wade into that river and move with the stream instead of stand against it. I've heard several people in my field of work, youth pastors and youth workers, say that we just need to wait until the boomers are out of the church so that we can move the church forward again. <laughs> Sorry, Judy. People, people have said that. I didn't say it. She was looking very meanly at me. But I disagree That's the same kind of thinking as keeping things the same. That is, my way is best kind of thinking. We need to be open to new, to different, to change all of us. We need to be willing to be moved by the Spirit to talk to one another and learn and grow and shift and change. We need to worry less about being relevant and be revolutionary. We need to stop trying to lure people in with bells and whistles and start being a light that draws people in of its own volition. We need to stop clinging to traditions, thinking that somehow that is the only way that God moves and breathes and speaks in this world and see that God is continually moving and breathing and speaking in all kinds of new and different ways. God said through the prophet Isaiah, See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Let us never be the people who don't perceive God's new change, or worse, the people who protest against it. Let us not be so threatened by change that we take up arms or call down threats. 
Let us embrace change knowing that God is doing a new thing, that God's Spirit moves and gives voices to new tongues and new ideas, that God is not your God or my God to be pigeonholed into whatever we find to be most comfortable. But God is vast beyond our imaginations and thus far beyond our understanding to capture in finite traditions. Let us be the church that is people so that when these pews rot and this building falls and these pastors leave, we are still standing strong in God because we didn't fight against the changing times, but we embraced them. Let us see the story of Babel and Pentecost and know that God desires difference. That God wants us to reach out to those unlike us. To invite them in. To allow them to change us and us to change them. So that our identity as a church is not homogeneous but miscellaneous. A mixed bag. Potpourri. Because we were not and are not afraid to open ourselves to change. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.fpcah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.